Welcome to Willow Park Church this morning. We're so pleased that you've joined us. The Bible declares this is the day that the Lord has made. I don't know what kind of week you've had, but today we're reminded that this is the day that the Lord has made. He's brought it together. He's in control. He is with you. And as we prepare our hearts to worship, I want to say thank you to those that are joining. Those in Lake Country that are joining us at this time. We're so blessed that you're joining us. Those who are from the South community, we're so blessed that you are joining us. And those from Rutland 33, what a blessing it is that we are one church and yet we have so many wonderful expressions. It reminds me of that scripture in Corinthians where it talks about the body. And that within the body, each person has a role to play. And maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe you've forgotten that you've got a role to play. That even though we're in this pandemic and all of the challenges and the difficulties that we're facing, that we're in this pandemic... And yet we know that God has a purpose, God has a direction, and he is with us in this time. So welcome to Willow Park Church. This morning, we continue our journey on the book of Daniel. What insightful truths have come out. They've been powerful, haven't they? Such truths about being a faithful people in a period of exile. <laughs> I feel like I'm in exile with all of this. You know, the pandemic kind of makes you feel as if life is just a little bit watered down. You know, it's all a bit, mm, it's all a bit just, a mm, bit watered down, doesn't it? It just makes it feel like, oh, it's not, it's, it's life, but it's not quite life as we knew it or experienced it. We're not meeting friends. We're not going to people's houses. We're not waving at each other at church. And yet we've got church online, but it all feels a bit, a bit, you know, blah, a bit, ugh, I feel sad. Uh, and yet God can do so much within our hearts at this time. That's the truth that really we've got to concentrate on our inner landscape, what God is creating within us and the way God is moving. And that's what I've been thinking a lot about this week, about my own inner life, about this part of me where I allow the Lord to bring sanctification and transformation into my life. Great thoughts, great themes. Well, we are going to begin our service now and let me pray for you. And let me pray that God will bless you as you log on and watch. So many wonderful things uh, happening. We're still running a marriage alpha. Uh, 125 couples. Get your head around that. That's like 250 people plus facilitators and leaders. Absolutely beautiful what God is doing and the way that God is working in those lovely couples. And we're looking forward to reopening youth. We're looking forward to engaging with children. We are thankful for the ways that we can keep meeting and working. So, yes, let us pray together and welcome the Lord. Father, thank you for your goodness and thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing 
And we pray, Lord, as we gather this morning in worship, may our hearts be filled with joy. May we cry a hallelujah. May we be willing to express our love and our thanksgiving and our excitement for you, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Let's worship together. Let's celebrate, church. Good morning, church. We're so grateful to, uh, to be able to be together in this way. Let us take some time to pray uh, before we start worshiping. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we can come and we can worship wherever we're at um, in whatever room we're at. God, I just pray that this will be a sweet sound to you, our hearts lifted up to you. And I pray as we sing this song, our hearts would understand a little bit more about building your kingdom in this place of earth, bringing your kingdom here to, to show your love to people around us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
so excited to be able to be a part of, of that kingdom building and God partnering with us. And it's so, so amazing. And, and a big part of this Daniel series is, is God being enough. And uh, God being enough of, of who he is for us to go through the hard, hard times. So as we sing this next song, it's called Enough. And it is just a beautiful song about God being enough for us.
Promises in me fulfill. 
Help us not forget how much we need you, God. As we walk through the pain, as we walk through the fire, as we walk through the, the fantastic moments and the victory, let us know that we need you, God. In your name, amen. Thank you, Jordan, for leading us. We're so grateful. And thank you. He preached a great message uh, last week from Daniel in the, and the story of uh, the three friends in the furnace with a fourth friend that arrived and that deliverance of the Lord that, that came and moved and worked. And that whole thought about living on Main Street and, and we feeling like we're foreigners or exiles, but actually we know where our real citizenship belongs. A uh, powerful word and really well um, spoken. And, um, and as we pause right now and get ready, let's prepare our own hearts. The reason why we often feel like exiles is because our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. In Luke's gospel, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Me. Imagine that. You're part of the new kingdom. That Daniel of course, introduces the everlasting kingdom, not the kingdom of Babylon, not the kingdom of the Persians and the Medes, not the kingdom of the Greeks or the Romans, but the kingdom of God. That you have the kingdom of God that is within you. And so, Lord, we thank you that as we look at communion, we are reminded that we are citizens of heaven because of the death of Christ. That the cross is not only a place of death and sacrifice and pain. But the cross now becomes a door of which we enter through the cross. From moving from condemnation to being a new creation. We move from feeling as if we are failed, a failed people, fragile and broken, to moving through the cross and knowing that we are utterly and completely forgiven. Thank you, Lord. That my life was once in chaos, spiritual chaos, and we've moved through the door of the cross into into a new creation, 
into being calm. Thank you, Lord, that the cross enables us to move from being children of chaos to children of peace. I will not experience that judgment of the wrath of God because Christ, you have paid the price. And we're reminded as we look at the bread, you gave your life for us. The body of Christ that takes away the sins. Thank you for the body that was broken so I can be forgiven. And Lord, thank you for the bread. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your sacrifice. And we pray as we eat it, we remember all that you did and gave for us. The body of Christ. Eat it in remembrance of him. Can I remind you that we carry around a lot of garbage, a rucksack of pain, of guilt, of shame, bad choices, sin. But it's only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. It's only the blood of Jesus that takes away that shame and that sin. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. Drink it, remember. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. One of my favorite verses, John 10, 10. But remember, earlier on it says that the thief comes to lie and steal and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. And that is where we live. We live in the reality that we have life. We have life and the life of Christ that is within us. And so may the word of God, as you hear it being preached, may it bring life and may it bring freedom. But before that, we're going to go over to Willow One News and no doubt Courtney's going to share all that is happening in Willow Park Church. What a blessing it is to be part of this awesome community. Enjoy. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us at Church Online. Here is your family news. If you are 55 plus and enjoy singing, we want to invite you to a special hymn sing every Sunday night at 6 p.m. starting tonight at Church Online, on Facebook, and on YouTube. Pastor Curtis will be leading us and we hope to see you there. It's that time of the year again where we would like to invite you to participate in Metro Community's biggest fundraiser of the year. 
This year will look a bit different with individuals and their family bubbles walking in their own neighborhoods to raise awareness and support the people experiencing homelessness. Sign up to walk on February 20th or donate towards a team at metrocommunity.ca slash C-N-O-Y. If you're wondering which team to support, you can search for Pastor Joel Federson, who's walking with Team Maple Springs this year. We have so many fun things coming up for kids and families here at Willow Park Church. First, if you haven't heard, we are now offering in-person Kids Church every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. during our drive-in church service at Willow Park Church on Highway 33. This is for kids age 4 to grade 5. Space is limited, but no pre-registration is required. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash drive-in. We are also hosting two drive-in movie nights with four showtimes on February 26th and 27th. Reserve your spot and purchase concession at willowparkchurch.com slash movie. And finally, we are planning to run Kids Camp in person during the first week of spring break, March 15th to 19th, for kids age 4 to grade 5. Space is limited, so register today at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Welcome to Willow Park Church. And what a blessing it is. Thank you, Jordan, for leading us in worship. And this morning, as we gather together, uh, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Daniel. What an experience this has been. Uh, Pastor Jordan shared last week uh, about the, the three guys, of course, in the furnace. I love the end of the sermon when it talks, and the scripture when it talks about that they did not even have the smell of the furnace on them. Not even the smell of what they'd been through. Because I believe as the angel of the Lord was with them, and as the Lord was with them in the furnace, even the smell of burning They were protected from the very elements of of the smell, of the heat, of the experience because of who they had been with. My uh, my son had a lovely little moment and a dream the other day. He got up and he was sat there at breakfast and we were all sat there having breakfast and chatting and he said something like this. He said, Mum, I had a dream last night. She said, oh yes, and what was that dream? She said, he said, I dreamt that you smelt like you had been with friends. What a bizarre statement, but wonderful. I dreamt that you smelt like you'd been with good friends, a fragrance. And you know, when we've been with Jesus Christ... The New Testament tells us that our faith, our relationship with God is like a fragrance that is present even in Babylon. Like a fragrance that is there even through the most difficult times. Like a fragrance that is present in our lives. And I wonder whether as we travel through the pandemic and as we face all the problems and we navigate all that is going on in life and with culture and we're wondering about the vaccine 
vaccine, when it's going to come. We're going to wonder, will the country reopen? Can we get back to normal? We are dreaming of the days when we don't have to walk into a shop or a restaurant looking for a mask because that's what it's like. I'm like, I go to a shop and then suddenly I'm, I'm like searching for a mask and I'm going, where is my mask? I know, I've lost my mask. Oh, I need my mask. I can't go in. Perhaps I could wrap, perhaps I could wrap my scarf around my head and that will look like a, a mask. Actually, it probably looked like I'm going in to rob the shop and I'm, I'm searching then I have to climb in the back of the van. And then I'm searching of where all the kids have been. And then eventually I pull out this screwed up little mask that I don't know how many members of the family have worn and is, is disease ridden and, and is, is dirty and it's broken. I have to tie it and tie it around me. And I walk in to buy my eggs and bacon. I wish life would be back normal. I wish it could be different. But I tell you, when you've got Jesus, you smell like the kingdom of God. You smell like you've been with a really good friend. You have the fragrance of heaven within your life. And I guess chapter 4, as we look at this remarkable chapter, pull out your Bibles, get it open. It is 37 verses, and of course I'm not going to attempt to teach it verse by verse. Although technically it is a very easy chapter to understand in terms of its construction. And I will go through the construction of the chapter so you're able to read it in more detail this week and pick out the key themes of what the author is trying to do. Because it's got so much truth within that and yet like many ancient texts and stories in the first six chapters that they stand alone as key stories to communicate a truth about God's power and God's strength within our lives. About God's faithfulness, about God's sovereignty, about that you can trust God, about that your hope is with God. It's full of all this wonderful stuff. But chapter 4... Let's start to think about this. Well, chapter 4 deals with a vice. It addresses a critical theme that I think is key even for today. Particularly when we look at world politics and particularly when we look at the world powers. This particular theme that explodes yet just comes from the pages of Daniel chapter 4 is absolutely critical for our own lives. What is this? Well, the theme is this, pride. What the author is doing here is addressing the issue of pride. It's in the first person. It does slip into the third person in the middle and goes back into the first person as if Nebuchadnezzar is actually writing and speaking these things, which is quite amazing. But it deals with the subject of arrogance. It deals with the subject of pride. It deals with the subject of us being self-sufficient within our own lives and us feeling like we are self-sufficient. I remember when I was a young leader just starting out, uh, I'd read lots of books about leadership. And one of the books advised you, get with people that have already traveled where you want to travel. 
connect with them. Do everything you can to connect with great leaders, great speakers, great business people. And at the time, I was... um, also running a, a small business and I was involved in um, lots of interesting uh, projects and I thought, okay then, I'm going to do this. And I chose somebody that I'd kind of, I knew who was amazing uh, motivational speaker, ran businesses and I thought, I'm going to get to have a meaningful mentoring moment with this guy. I was so excited. The book that I was reading told me to pull out a notepad and pen. And when you meet with that person, buy them lunch and connect with them. And often you have to negotiate through their own personal assistant. So this is what I did. I got on the phone. I phoned about half a dozen times. I became friendly with the personal assistant. And at the end of it, the personal assistant said, well, actually, he's driving through Staffordshire, coming into South Staffs. And if you, and if you don't know where Staffordshire is, it's just west of Birmingham. If you don't know where Birmingham is, it's in the center of England. And he said, if you meet him, arrange there. So I chose a perfect little English pub restaurant, nestled in the rolling hills, nestled in the hills where Tolkien would have walked and would have thought about the wonders of the Lord of the Rings. I thought, this is perfect. I'll get there a bit early. I've got my notepad. I'll be ready. He's driving down and he's on his way south. So as I waited, I was inside the um, little quaint English public house with, um, with pictures of, of uh, medieval images and castles on the wall. It was wonderful. This was my moment to connect with somebody who I thought was incredible, somebody that was amazing, somebody that I'd heard speak from afar. And he turns up in his red, uh, shiny uh, sports car. And as he zooms up, the horsepower just explodes. And I'm, I'm excited. He gets out the car. I go out and I greet him. And the moment I greet him, I knew that he was not impressed. We sat down kind of looked at me and said, so how did you get an appointment with me? I'm like, well, I, I, I called about half a dozen times. Huh. Well, what's the purpose of this meeting? I said, well, uh, you know, I want to glean things from you. Instantly, I knew as he sat there in his tailored Italian suit with his silk tie that he was looking down at me. He was full of pride and arrogance as if, well, how dare you? What can you offer me? What can you give me? What, what are you doing in life? I said, well, I really want to learn from you. What do you mean you want to learn from me? And then all of this, he was, so I started to ask some questions. He wasn't very interested. He was looking down. He was playing with his napkin. And after 30 minutes, he left. I paid the bill and my notepad was empty. I remember that day because I remember that really all he communicated was pride, arrogance, disinterest. Thought he was awesome. He thought he was awesome. I thought he was awesome. But at the end of it, I actually thought, I didn't remember his shiny car. I didn't remember his Italian suit. I just remember his character. 
that his character was prideful and his pr- character was dismissive. Now, maybe he was just having a bad day and it came my direction. But maybe it was something deeper that often we do not recognize within our own lives. And maybe you've met a person who seems to be full of pride. And this is the story. Let me begin with C.S. Lewis, the brilliant Oxford Don, who wrote so much in his words in mere Christianity. He spoke these words. He calls it in mere Christianity, the great sin. What is the great sin? It is the great sin of pride. And chapter 4 can be described in this way. It is a story of Nebuchadnezzar and it's the story of the great sin. The great sin. The great sin of arrogance. The great sin of pride. The great sin of thinking that you are high and mighty. And the moment when God engages with Nebuchadnezzar and starts to work. There is one vice which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in others, and of which hardly any people except some Christians, I love that little line, except some Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which we are more unconscious of in our own lives And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Here, Lewis is talking about the power of pride. He's talking about the danger of pride. He's talking about what pride does and the way that pride works. And this is almost a frightening statement that we are unconscious of it ourselves. Now, I guarantee that so often... We, in our own lives, we are unconscious of the journey of pride within our own lives. And that we have to be willing to examine ourselves. He says, only a few Christians understand the power and the reality of pride within lives. So let's get to the story. Now, when we're looking at Daniel chapter 4, really interesting, it's broken into six parts. Let me explain the parallel and the six parts so you understand how it's constructed. First of all, it's Nebuchadnezzar speaking in the first person. And he declares, first of all, praise to God. Here he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. And so what we realize is that, that it is all, it starts, although this is verse 37 at the end, it starts and it finishes with praise. So you can think of the chapter with two bookends. It starts with praise and acknowledgement of God. It finishes with praise and acknowledgement of God. Then what we have is the dream itself. The dream that comes, that terrifies, that that grabs hold of Nebuchadnezzar, that he wakes up and he's perplexed, he is terrified. He has this dream and so he quickly calls for the wise men, the magicians, the astrologers. He calls for them and tells them the dream. But none of them are willing 
to interpret or have the interpretation. That's quite interesting because when you actually read the dream, the dream seems quite straightforward. But maybe they were terrified to tell the greatest ruler in the world that trouble is coming. Maybe they were terrified about this. So we have praise begins. We have the dream. We have the interpretation of the dream. We have the events that take place when Nebuchadnezzar ends up like an animal. We then have the restoration and then we have the praise again. You see, it's six parts. And as you look at the chapter, you can break the chapter down into these six parts. Praise, dream, explanation of the dream, the exile when it actually happens, the restoration, and then the praise again. So that gives you an idea of the breakdown of the dream. So let's start to address the issues. But of course, it's all captured in this final statement in verse 37. Look at that. Praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You see, here we have the real message of it. That if you walk in pride and arrogance, God is able to humble you. Pride comes before a fall. God is able to humble you. So it starts, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, content. What does he mean he was content? Well, of course, first of all, he was the greatest, most powerful man on the face of the planet. He was content. In fact, historically... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar probably had just had a son. His wife had given birth to a son, so now he had somebody to inherit the kingdom, which was wonderful for him, and he wanted to celebrate that. In fact, he was also building a new uh, palace and enjoying the beauty of Babylon. He, of course, looked at Babylon with its great walls where you could run Three chariots on top of the walls, and these three chariots could turn. The great hanging gardens. He had property, he had power, he had his wife, he now had a son. He had everything that a ruling emperor wanted in life. And he felt it himself. He worshipped no god. It's pretty clear. He didn't even worship uh, Murdoch, which is the god of the Babylonians. The god who came out of the great slain giant that was on the floor. And out of its head came the universe. And out of the eye of the giant came the stars. And out of the carcass came the, the universe. You, all in the stories of, of how the Babylonians worshipped the god um, Marduk and all of that. He wasn't even bothered about Marduk. He wasn't certainly bothered about Yahweh. What Nebuchadnezzar worshipped was himself. He loved himself. Full of pride. And yet a dream came that terrified him. He's prosperous and content. I had a dream that made me afraid. And at that moment... It reminds me of the words of Jesus when he looks at people and he says, I tell you the truth, 
It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice as you read chapter 4 that the word heaven is used a number of times. It's used about the God of heaven. It's used about looking up to heaven. It's used about that heaven has spoken. And what we take from this chapter is that God looks down at Nebuchadnezzar and sees him and heaven starts to speak. And so, what was the dream? Well, the dream was, as he explained it, was that he saw a beautiful tree with fruit on it, with animals on it. And everybody received sustenance and life. It was like the tree of life that is present. And there is all the glory of this tree. And it's the most wonderful tree. It gives life. It gives hope. It feeds and cares for all the nations of the world. It brings fruitfulness into the world. It is so wonderful. And then a messenger arrives and a messenger looks at the tree and declares that this tree shall be chopped down. It will be taken to pieces. It's dismantled down to a stump. And there it has a a, a silver and a brass bond put around it. And Out of this tree stump, then it turns into an animal. And this animal starts to roam and starts to walk. And people were terrified to explain what this, but Daniel came and he explained it. He said, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are that tree. In fact, Daniel, well, we know that the decision is announced by the messenger. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. Notice the word that is the big theme of Daniel. The Most High is sovereign. What it is saying is, Nebuchadnezzar, you actually believe that it's not Yahweh that brings life, sustenance and power. It's not even Murdoch, the god of the ancient Babylonians. It's you. You believe that you are godlike. You believe that all this belongs to you. You believe that you are the center of the universe. You are the one that believes it. And the messenger comes and says no. And so when Daniel interprets this, he says, Oh, king, how I wish this was for your enemies. You see, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And honestly, in the New Testament, what the Lord calls us to do, the Lord calls us to not live in arrogance, to not live in our own contentment, to not live in our own sufficient. But he calls us to humble ourselves and to know that God is with us. To know that God comes first. And it's not about us. 
It's about serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's about being on fire for Jesus. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The position of every believer is like Philippians 2 where it describes how Jesus himself came as a servant in this world. And for our lives, humility, and it's a hard journey, humility and love and kindness and grace is the way that we live our lives. And he says, Daniel says, one day this will come and you are the tree. You're going to be chopped down. You're going to become a beast. You're going to eat like the ox in the fields. And for seven years, you are going to be a mess until you look up to heaven, until you realize who is in control, until you realize who is number one. And I guess what we've got to learn to do is realize that our lives are about serving God as number one. Number one in our life. That we put God first. So 12 months later, he's on the flat roof in Babylon, surveying all that he has. And he looks and he says, this is all because of me. This is because I am great. This is because I am wonderful. Bang! At that moment, he's humbled. At that moment, he enters this time of insanity. At that moment, he becomes like a beast and he walks and he goes into the wilderness. What a powerful story. And it's not until he looks up to heaven and acknowledges God. You see, there's two ways to live your life. You can either live your life looking down on people. Or you can live your life looking up to heaven. You can either surrender your arrogance, your pride, that you are always right. Looking down. And you can learn to humble yourself before man and God and know because pride is that terrible vice. It is that vice. And Daniel tells him the dream. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies, it means meaning to your adversaries. I love this because Daniel's showing grace, showing love, even to the horrific Nebuchadnezzar. He's showing grace. Grace and he's showing love. It reminds me, renounce, he says, your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. He explains to the king that God's grace is there, that I love you and I want you to repent. How many arrogant, how many pride people do we know that you just wish that they would repent? You just wish that they would humble themselves before God. You just wish that they would change. And you wish that they would start to care for the needy in the world, for the oppressed in the world. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. I think of Chuck Colson. Many of you may not know him. 1970s, the Watergate era, when President Nixon, the most powerful man on the planet, 
experienced what we called the Watergate affair, which was all about the taping and the manipulation of government and people. And there in the middle was Chuck Colson, special advisor to the most powerful man on the planet, in and out of the West Wing, always talking to the president, lying and conniving, thinking he's fantastic. His head was swollen with his position and with his power. Chuck Colson was amazing. He was well known. He was that kind of special advisor. There in the president's office. But Chuck Carlson went from being the best friend to the most powerful man on the planet to becoming a common prisoner in a cell. He went from being a celebrity to the cell. He went from his pride to prison. And it was only in his prison that Chuck Carlson in his beautiful book, looked up to heaven and looked to God and acknowledged God where his arrogance made him a beast, an animal. He was willing to change and he gave his life to Christ and he wrote that wonderful book called Born Again. And that's what the message is. That when we're full of arrogance, when we are full of pride, we can be born again and we can become different. We can have a different character. And Nebuchadnezzar now is being taken to the school of God's lessons. And God is teaching Nebuchadnezzar a lesson. And what is he teaching him? He's teaching him that all good things come from God. He's teaching him that his arrogance does not carry him. He's teaching him that there is one way to live and that is to acknowledge God. And that is one way to be. And even Daniel speaks words, renounce your sins by doing what is right. And true change in every one of our lives comes through renouncing our sins. Not generally just saying, Lord, forgive me. Because we can do that all the time. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. Just wash it away. Lord Jesus, forgive me. For some sins, we have to be specific. For some areas in our lives, we have to be willing to name it. And if it's pride, name it. If it's arrogance, name it. If it's anger, name it. If it's lust, name it. Name it. Because it's only when we are specific and acknowledge our own brokenness that the power of Christ and the power of the cross can come into our lives, into our personal prisons like Chuck Colson and there in that prison bring light. There in that prison bring deliverance. There in that prison bring the hope of Jesus. And Daniel's imploring to him. He's saying, come on. It reminds me that even Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Nebuchadnezzar persecuted hundreds of thousands of Jews, but he was still willing to call Nebuchadnezzar to repent. He was still willing to show mercy. He was still willing to show love. Otherwise, this great man would become a beast. And the reality is, is that pride and arrogance 
steals from us and can create a man or a woman that is almost like a beast, that is full of arrogance, that is full of anger, beastly attitudes. And you see what pride does. Pride does two powerful things. First of all, pride always takes you away from God. See, when you start to become prideful, you start the journey of walking away from God. When you start to become prideful, you receive a kind of spiritual amnesia that you forget how God, God, how good God has been to you. You forget how amazing the Lord Jesus Christ has been in your life. Oh yes, you remember those prayers. I remember when God delivered me. I remember I was praying for this moment and God came in and years later, you're, you're in prosperity and life is good. You're still a bit religious, but actually you've forgotten the reality that God has rescued you from being a beast. You've forgotten that he's come and taken you. You have forgotten God because pride creates a coldness between you and God. Second thing pride does, it creates massive problems in life. Families, relationships, division. When pride is at work in a family, in a marriage, on either side, it starts like a toxic power that poisons that relationship. See, pride creates division in partnerships. Pride creates problems in business. Pride creates so many difficulties that it is present and it needs to be broken. Pride. And the story is about that the Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and needed to look up to heaven. And you see, when you're looking down in your tower of pride at others around you, and you look down in your tower of pride, it's very hard to look up to the glory of God. When you walk and travel in the way of pride, at some point... You will be humbled. And I often say to people, you're going through the most difficult time of your life. Are you going to humble yourself to Jesus? Or are you going to become proud and arrogant and hate everybody and fight back? Which way are you going to travel? When God, don't show contempt. Do not show contempt for the riches of the kindness and the tolerance and the patience of God. God is always tolerant. God is always kind. God is patient. But our pride will bring a poison in our lives. Not realizing that God's kindness leads towards repentance. The door for real freedom with pride and arrogance, is repentance, as Daniel says, and as the apostle Paul says. That is the key. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a spiritual truth that we need to be willing. You know, it was funny, we were... Uh, skiing on, on, on Friday. Friday's our new day off around here. And skiing, and I was with uh, Jordan, and 
we were uh, on the ski lift at Jem, and it was quite a steep bit, and we were there. It stopped, and we were swinging around, and two of these wonderful, wonderful, um, uh, you know, uh, ski patrol rescuers came down to help a man who was struggling on a very difficult, steep slope. They were giving all this advice, and the one guy stayed at the top in his black uniform and his his cross and he was there and, and, and they were giving instructions and the other one was below this man and he was, this man was trying to get all the way down. And we were talking to the, um, to the guys that were on ski patrol and I was shouting down and we were having a bit of banter and a bit of laugh and um, it was nice. And then the guy at the top, you know, obviously waited quite a while so he can do some special moves and swish all the way down and show his moves. So he jumped up on his snowboard and he did his moves. And as he went down, he clipped his side and then he fell over and rolled all the way down. We just erupted into laughter. And he jumped up and he went, oh, he said, that really humbled me. That really humbled me. And you know, so often, and I said, oh, that's great. That's a great little illustration. Because so often when we think we've got this, often we trip over. But what I liked about that guy, he jumped up and he was like, <laughs> he laughed. He said, I thought I, I thought I had it, but I didn't. And he just laughed and it was, um, it was, it was hilarious. And I think when we fall over, we can get up and be like, whoa. Wasn't my fault. We can get up and, what are you laughing at? Huh. We can get up and be defensive. We can be self centered. We can be arrogant. But that guy just rolled up, jumped up, and just laughed at himself and said, I am truly humbled. And you know, sometimes in life when we fail, we've got to just acknowledge that we failed and we jump up and we realize that humility is the only way. It's the only way. Anyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And all the people of the earth, now we're back into the praise portion. Now we're back into that moment. He does as he pleases with his power of heaven. Notice the word heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Let me remind you, That when you think of every toxic relationship, often pride, that vile vice, is at the bottom of that. And finally, the verse where we began, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, I don't fancy being humbled by circumstances. But I've met people like Chuck Colson, whose arrogance took them to a cell, metaphorically or physically, and they had to look up to heaven for salvation. And when Christ hung upon that cross, he looked up to heaven and he looked down to man. He didn't look at mankind with arrogance. He said, Father, forgive them. 
And what transforms our lives, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's Chuck Colson, whoever it is, what transforms our lives is the work of the cross and us bowing our knee to Jesus and say, I want to give my life to Christ. I choose to follow Jesus completely in my life. I want Jesus. And it comes through the cross. The cross is the door. The cross is the way of hope. The cross is the way of salvation. And when we stumble and fall, it's to look up to heaven and let heaven invade our lives. Let the glory of heaven come to us. Let heaven come and let us know that pride always gives us amnesia about the glory of God. That pride always makes our relationship with God cold. And that pride takes us far away from God. But humility of Christ, who humbled himself even to death, is the example that every one of us should follow. So listen, people won't remember your flashy car. People won't remember your Italian suit. People won't remember your silk tie. What they remember is your character. And is your character been transformed by Christ? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will give us the strength and the ability to really... Be willing to humble ourselves and allow you to change and transform our character. And right now, Lord Jesus, maybe there's people watching online that need to give their life to Christ right now and need to stop looking down and start looking up. If that's you, Give your life to Jesus now. If that's you, get right with God now. If that's you, ask God to come and transform your life. Like this, pray. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I give my life to you. As you gave yourself for me on the cross, as you gave yourself for me on the cross, I surrender my whole life. Forgive me of my sins and come into my life and change me. I make you Lord right now. If that is you, right there on the online, just respond by raising your hand. Just respond by communicating to us. Just respond and do not move on another moment in this day without letting heaven come to you through Christ and changing your life. Thanks for joining us. Keep in touch. We're looking forward to announcing a lot of exciting things. I'm going to go and preach at the drive-in in the moment. At, and the kids are gathering at 10.30. So you can come down and um, join us if you show desire. Kids Church is back on. Come and join us. Father, thank you for our time together, and bless us, I pray. 
Amen.